You're listening to the Refined Hippie Podcast, a show all about holistic lifestyle, nutrition, and plant-based veganism for a mind-body-spirit approach to living healthfully and happily for ourselves and our planet. Hello, my lovely friend. I am your host, Rebecca Henson. If you are new to the show, welcome. And if you are a seasoned Refined Hippie Podcast listener, thank you so much for your support and welcome back. This is the start of 2024. This is the first episode of the new year and I am kicking it off with a bang about alcohol. This is a month that a lot of people are doing dry January. A lot of people are doing New Year's resolutions. They are trying to be healthier. They're going to the gym and oftentimes they could be trying to minimize or eliminate their alcohol consumption. This comes after the holiday season where people are eating and drinking a lot more than even usual. And also, alcohol consumption has been on the rise in the last few years. Not surprisingly, because we had COVID and the craziness that ensued with that, people started drinking more. And... That is not a good thing, as we are going to explore. Alcohol is something that is part of our society. It is part of many societies all over the world. People drink. People have been drinking for thousands of years. But we're going to dive into the science of it. So in the wake of all of this alcohol consumption increase, there have been a few podcasts that have gone around and somewhat gone viral, I'll say. Uh, exploring this topic. And one of them is the Andrew Huberman podcast or the Huberman Lab. This was actually one of the most downloaded podcasts on Apple Podcasts, apparently, of 2023. And it is a two-hour-long show all about alcohol and what it does to your body, brain, health, all the things. So this episode is going to be a concise version of that. I am going to go over some of the main points that he discusses that I found really compelling. Now, I am not going to be able to hit every point (laughs) that he goes over because, again, then my podcast would be close to two hours or even an hour, and I don't want it to be that long. I want it to be short. I want it to be sweet. So some of the topics that we're going to cover are, is alcohol neurodegenerative, meaning does it cause brain degradation? We are going to get into the gut microbiome and how it disrupts that, the HPA axis, the biochemical effects of alcohol, and uh, the predisposition genetically that some people have to possibly become alcoholics or to have alcohol abuse. So Huberman begins with the simple facts of alcohol has been consumed by humans for thousands of years. We all know this, right? Archaeology shows us that people were drinking wine in Mesopotamia 5,000 years ago. It is not something new. And this episode, just as his, is not really meant to shame anyone. It's not meant to make anybody feel bad about their decisions. But as always, it's to educate people to make the right choices for them, right? So let's start out with, is alcohol neurodegenerative? It has been known that high levels of alcohol definitely is causing this, right? But the question that people wanted to know was 
does a small amount of alcohol cause the same issues with with the brain. Even seven glasses of wine through the week has been shown in a recent study to cause brain degradation. So our recent study looked at this and found that yes, even people drinking low to moderate amounts were having a thinning of the brain. This means even one to two drinks a night or it means just drinking on Friday or just drinking on Saturday. It does cause degradation. He also points out what a chronic drinker is. So someone who is a chronic drinker is just that. You don't have to be someone who is getting drunk every night or binging. It can literally mean just that. You just drink on the weekends. That is still considered a chronic drinker. Or you have one drink at night, right after work. That is still considered a chronic drinker, and that is what most of these studies are looking at. Huberman starts with the basic chemistry of alcohol. Alcohol is water and fat soluble, so therefore it can pass through and be absorbed into all the cells and tissues of your body. There are three types of alcohol, but the type that is fit for human consumption, consumption, if you will, is ethyl or ethanol alcohol. Of course, it is still toxic, but that is the one that is that we can consume. Um, and when we ingest alcohol, it has to be converted because it is toxic and it's converted to something else. There's a molecule called NAD, which is a hot topic these days in regards to longevity, Um, We all have NAD in the body from birth until death, but that's a whole different topic. So anyways, NAD and some other things, are they convert the alcohol into acetylaldehyde, and it's broken down into that. This is particularly bad. It is poison itself, again. So it breaks it down into something else that's poison. And acetylaldehyde kills cells, and it doesn't care which ones it damages. So then the body deals with that poison um, by converting the acetylaldehyde into something else called acetate. And then your body uses the acetate as fuel. So all this, this whole process is done because of something toxic. And depending on how quickly your body can do this conversion depends on how much or how long the acetylaldehyde is in the body and how much it builds up and causes damage. So where does all of this conversion happen? You guessed it, the liver. So in the cells of the liver is where all this is happening. And even though the conversion doesn't does create something, I guess, that the body can use, There is no nutritional value in alcohol whatsoever. It is considered complete and empty calories. So with all of this conversion, this is what makes us feel tipsy or drunk. And being drunk and tipsy is what a lot of us have enjoyed. Um, But the long-term effects of this causes less happiness and more stress for people. So, you know, being drunk, as he says, is poison. It is induced disruption in the way your neural circuits work and when people ingest poison 
the the range of effects is very different depending on the person. So if someone has a genetic disposition for alcoholism or even those that are considered chronic drinkers, you know, having one to two drinks a night or just on Friday and Saturday, those typically do have an increase in alert alertness and mood and it lasts longer than say other people. And those are the ones he says need to be more careful about alcoholism. So he then goes into the biochemical effects uh, in all cases. So alcohol, because it is water and fat soluble, it can cross the blood brain barrier. And when it does this, it seems to diminish the prefrontal cortex and suppress the area of the brain that involves thinking, planning, and suppression of impulsive behavior. You might have seen this or maybe even experienced it in your own life. Maybe it was when you were younger. Maybe it was in college. Maybe it was last weekend. You know, you're out and you're dancing and maybe you dance a lot more when you had a few drinks than if you were sober. Um, This is all because of that effect on the prefrontal cortex. There's also changes in the serotonin in the brain, and serotonin is a neuromodulator. It changes the activity of mood and well-being. Some people who drink may feel sedated while others don't. For some, it gives them even more energy, and this can be a a signal of who might have a predisposition for alcoholism. It's also... Uh, been shown to change the relationship between the hypothalamus pituitary and adrenal axis or the HPA axis. This helps regulate what we perceive as stressful and not stressful. And those who drink regularly, there is a change in the HPA axis and this results in more cortisol, more stress hormone being released even when they're not drinking. So there's also changes in the neural circuits and the chemistry of the brain and the brain to the body uh, and the the hormone circuitry, if you will. Um, It makes people less resilient to stress and lowers the mood overall. So going back to the genetic predisposition, genes that chronic alcohol modifies fall primarily in the pathways related to genetic control over the serotonin receptors or the GABA receptors, and that has to do with inhibitions, and then also the HPA axis. So he notes that it's genes plus environment that play a role on whether someone will fall into alcoholism. So this can mean that they have the right genes plus patterns of abuse. So you can see this, you know, Perhaps if somebody goes to college or their friend group drinks a lot, so then they have this pattern and the social pressures that go along with it. And then also trauma. So some use uh, alcohol to self-medicate because of that, right? And he goes on to discuss that, that how these genes matter, but also the age in which the person starts to drink or has their first drink plays a role. So the earlier the first drink happens, the more likely that person will be to develop alcohol issues later in life. So there's not one single gene for alcoholism. It's kind of the perfect storm. It's all of these different factors that can create 
someone to to be in to fall into that um, to that pattern. So the next topic is, of course, one of my favorite areas of research, and that is the gut-brain axis. Huberman also refers to the gut-liver-brain axis, which he says is not something that he is aware of being discussed on any podcast. So the the gut and the brain communicate to each other. A lot of us might be aware of this. They communicate via the vagus nerve, which is basically essentially a a two-directional highway of communication, if you will. But the gut also signals to the liver. And the liver is the first site where alcohol is broken down. It's also communicating to the brain. And any ingestion of alcohol disrupts the gut microbiome. It does not discriminate on what bacteria it kills. So it is killing good bacteria and bad bacteria. And, you know, I had never really thought about it that much until this podcast, really. Um, You know, you see in movies or um, maybe in books, the guy has a big wound and they don't have anything to clean it with. So what do they do? They take a bottle of whiskey or vodka and they pour it all over the wound. And then the guy takes a swig of it before they're about to amputate his leg or, you know, whatever. Um, That is because it is basically like a disinfectant. Um, It kills your bacteria. It also releases pro-inflammatory molecules or cytokines from the liver. And the gut lining, of course, is disrupted. uh, And this can cause leaky gut. You've probably heard of that term a lot. And because of leaky gut, it allows bad bacteria to leak out into the gut and into the bloodstream. And because of all these things, they arrive in the brain and then causes the neural circuits to want to drink more. So therefore, you've already had, you know, all of this inflammation and disruption happening, which actually causes one to want to drink more and further exasperate exacerbate the issues. So... Weaning yourself off, if, if someone is trying to wean their self, self off, they, ha- they need to be aware that this is probably going to happen. You know, there will be an increase in cortisol, which can lead to anxiety and stress um, that will be present. So if you are thinking that you want to, like, go cold turkey or cold tofurkey, as I like to say, um, then just be aware that that is a possibility that you might feel more anxious from weaning yourself off. He also talks a little bit about hangovers and refers to anxiety that some people experience. Um, He also talks about sleep, that even one glass of wine or beer impairs your sleep. When alcohol is present in the brain and bloodstream of any amount, all levels of your sleep pattern are disrupted. Alcohol is also dehydrating It is a diuretic, which causes us to excrete water and sodium. So electrolytes, sodium, potassium, magnesium will be lost. And this is why a lot of times people will, you know, take those little electrolyte drinks or maybe they want to drink, you know, um, Gatorade, which I don't support that. But there are are certainly healthier versions of those kind of electrolyte drinks. So in regards to hangovers... They are not fun at all. There have been some studies uh, looking at what causes the greatest hangovers, what types of alcohols do that. And they were looking at just a few drinks. So these are people who um, were just having about one to two. It's kind of 
what depending on your weight and your tolerance. And near the bottom of the list was beer as being not leading to the greatest hangovers. <laughs> uh, whiskey was more likely to cause a hangover than gin. And rum or red wine is more likely than any of the others. Top of the list was brandy to cause the worst hangovers. Um, apparently, this study you know, talks about sugar content because a lot of times people will say, oh, it's because your drinks were so sugary. But it turns out that at least from the research, it does not show that. Uh, what it shows is that congeners, which is what gives alcohol a distinct, distinct taste or nitrates, um, are what is related to hangovers. So also the main effects that it has on the gut microbiome um, can be causing and leading to these hangovers. And back to the serotonin uh, and dopamine, there is an increase in the serotonin and dopamine, but that is apparently short-lived. And then it's like a slow dip down, you know, to get even lower. And the, the negative effects happen longer and longer and get more robust. And that feel-good blip gets smaller the more that someone is drinking. Um, so the question is, you know, is drinking good for me in any single way? And he had gotten... Lots of questions, apparently, on his Twitter, over a thousand questions from people about alcohol. And that was one of them, right? It's like, okay, well, is there any amount of alcohol that is good for me? Is there anything, any positive effects, right? We already said that there's empty calories. It's basically has no nutritional value. But is there anything to hold on to? Because there is a lot of talk, and I've, I have actually discussed the therapeutic benefit of alcohol at some point. Um... But that, I think, can be, you know, what outweighs the good and how often are you doing it again? You have to think about are you a chronic drinker and what kind of effects are, are, that, are there? So um, one of the topics that has been coming up, I feel like, a lot in the past year is resveratrol. Um, I know there are some health people who are taking resveratrol supplements um, because this is um, a part of... Uh, a component of red wine, right? And it's been talked about a lot. But the amount of red wine a person would have to consume to get enough resveratrol is so crazy high, apparently, that any positive effect from the resveratrol would be surely canceled out by all the negatives of the amount of alcohol. So in that regard, like, yeah, maybe you should just take a resveratrol supplement like <laughs> some of these uh, some of these health people are doing. With all that said, Huberman says that there could be some positive effects with a low red wine consumption, and that means one to four small glasses a week because of the stress reduction and the micronutrients. But then we have a lot of other factors to look into, right? We have to look at the grapes. We have to look at where the wine comes from. We can't just choose any red wine. Um, there's a lot of other factors to consider. Um, of course, I would say certainly you would want it to be organic. Um, you possibly would rather it be from Europe than from America because they have a lot more regulations. Um, but there might be some positive effects, but he did not have, uh, was not able to cite any good studies on that. Um, many of us are familiar with the Mediterranean diet. That diet is known to be one of the healthiest diets in the world. Um, 
with a lot of research behind it, and they do drink red wine on occasion. They do not, are not known to binge drink. It's more of, you know, a glass with dinner and that kind of thing. Um, I think there's a lot of differences in our cultures. Um, When you look at Mediterranean culture, Italy, Greece, um, France, that type of area, not necessarily (laughs) England, um, but a lot of Europe is, has just a different relationship with alcohol than Americans do. They have a lower drinking age. And I think that there is something to that um, with creating, you know, it's not as taboo, it's not forbidden. And therefore, you know, a lot of teens don't necessarily put it on this pedestal as teens do in America. So, but then that goes back to Huberman talking about if you drink at an earlier age that you might be more prone to alcoholism. But I think there's a lot of other factors here. I think that it's has a lot to do with cultural attitude towards drinking and alcohol. You know, when you see movies, when you see uh, TV shows, a lot of times drunk people look like they're having a lot of fun and young people want to be a part of that. And it's also, like I said, seen as something that is forbidden and kids in particular, young adults, young people (laughs) like to do things that they're not, that they're told not to. It is kind of human nature to, to have that kind of reaction when you're told not to do something. So there's a lot of different things going on here, obviously with alcohol, alcohol usage, um, One thing that I forgot to mention was about the food um, as far as trying to sober up. um, He talks about whether or not food actually helps you become more sober. A lot of times when people have had too much to drink, they're like, oh my gosh, we just need to go out and get some fast food or whatever, and it'll absorb the alcohol from your body. Well, if you eat before or eat during drinking, then it can slow the absorption into your blood, Um, particularly if you have a meal that has all three macronutrients, your carbs, your fats, your protein. Um, It does not help if you've already been drinking and trying to, quote, sober sober up. It's already gone to your bloodstream and is a little bit too late. Of course, this episode is not meant to shame anyone. It's not not here to make you feel bad about your past or maybe your habits right now. It is, again, just about education. Um, A lot of us in America uh, probably, uh, possibly drank too much in college, might have binge drank. Um, I am guilty of that. It, again, was the culture. It was the environment that I was in. And now being in this place of true health and wellness, searching for that on a daily basis, I I found personally that it did not part, fit into the equation of me uh, striving for that, striving for that, um, which, you know, we're always searching for it, right? You, you never get to some magic place where you don't have to do any work anymore. And I do think that a lot of people have a difficult time starting out with feeling awkward of not drinking in social situations. 
But 2024, the past couple of years, have been amazing for mocktails. And I think it's just getting better with more restaurants uh, offering this. And if you are invited to a party, I implore you to be that person to bring the mocktails. Go on Pinterest. I have some recommendations on my website, therefinedtippy.com, of different mixtures for mocktails. And bring your own and then ha- share them with with your friends, you know. Um, it's always about being prepared, I think, that makes living a healthier lifestyle, leading a healthier lifestyle, it makes it a lot easier. And this goes the same with what you eat. And if you're plant-based or just trying to eat more plant-based or trying to eat healthier, whatever that looks like for you, um, it is about being prepared is the key to all of it. So be prepared if this is something that you are trying to do. If you are trying to go full-blown alcohol-free lifestyle, I welcome you with open arms to to this to this way of life and I love it. I'm I have disclosed on my Instagram I kind of I, well, first off I don't miss alcohol. <laughs> um I do have one to two cocktails every like 6 months. Why? I don't even know. I don't. Um, it had, it usually is maybe around my birthday and we just happen to be at a restaurant that has a cocktail that is particularly, I'm particularly fond of. There's one called the Aviation, which used to be kind of my go-to. It's like a 1920s cocktail and I will have that. I am not saying that I don't, um, and maybe I won't anymore, honestly. Again, this podcast was more about the chronic drinkers, the people who are drinking, um, you know, every, during the week at some point, like whether it's just Friday and Saturday or whether it's every night. He does say that if you drink like once a month, you know, the, the likelihood that that's going to be, is not going to kill you. You know, it's again, it's chronic inflammation. It's chronic distress on your cells and disruption to your microbiome, disruption to your brain. That is what where the big issues are. But again, mocktails are amazing these days. There are so many amazing, delicious, incredible brands out there creating zero proof, uh, you know, mixers, zero proof, you know, liquors, I guess, like they're straight up meant to be used as liquor. And then you mix other things in them. Um, one of my favorite brands and the first brand that I ever tried is called Seed Lip. Again, I will I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Um, Seed Lip, it's uh, based out of the UK, but it is one of my favorites for sure. Still one of my favorites. They have a trio. You can try like three, they're three main ones and you get them in a, in a pack of three and then you can kind of decide which one is your best, is your favorite. And there's another brand called Amas that are Amas. I actually don't know how to pronounce that. Um, and I really like that one. The third one that I love is called Three Spirits, I think. Um, Three Spirit. And they have a couple different, um, a couple different variations and they have adaptogens in them. They have different mushrooms. Like um, one of them has ashwagandha. Like the ingredients are just so beautiful. And you can feel good. Like you do feel good. You feel like you're doing something positive for your body. And you are. You know, you are. And you're certainly doing something better than alcohol, which has zero 
positive effects on your body other than possibly minimal stress reduction um, if it's red wine. But again, that could be few and far between. So we just don't know. But now you have the facts, you have the information, you can make the best choice for you. If you want to listen to Huberman Lab, I implore you to. It is two hours long. Uh, There's another episode uh, or podcast that just came out with Rich Roll about alcohol. That one looks good. I have not listened to it yet. But explore this topic. And, you know, if you have um, are in a relationship and the other person is not into it, I don't know, maybe share this stuff with them, share this podcast. Um, This segment is shorter, so maybe it's easier, uh, more palatable. So share it with those who uh, are interested in going alcohol free. As always, thank you so much for joining me and having an open mind to all of these different possibilities and thoughts. I have so many good feelings about this year and uh, I hope you do as well. Be sure to sign up for my newsletter because 2024 is going to be the year that I actually send out my newsletters. So sign up for that if you are already signed up for it. Thank you so much. Uh, It is not because I don't love you. I have just put that on the back burner, but I'm trying to put it a little bit more at the top. So sign up for my newsletter and be sure to subscribe to the podcast as always so you will be notified when new episodes are coming out. It is a new season, so there will be lots to come. So until next time, peace and plants. Thank you.